a few, I like to, I got to where I clean swimming pools, so I'm out by myself a lot and don't have anyone to talk to, which is a good thing. But I get bored, and so I started listening to talk radio just to get differing opinions to kind of make up my mind, you know, sort things out, because you hear one person and it sounds good, and you hear someone else and it sounds right. And after a while, I got tired of listening to Rush Limbaugh and Sean Hannity and some other people I was listening to, especially a lot of them were getting not as nice as they used to be. So I was changing the dial, and I ran across a guy named Brian Fisher who comes on in the afternoons out of a station in Greenville called American Family Radio. And I have really enjoyed this station because they, their news that they have every hour, they don't report on Kim Kardashian or Britney Spears or Justin Bieber, stuff like that. They report on stuff like the, uh, the LGBT movement, abortion, uh, family matters, just things that Christians are interested in, things that are really important. But, and they've got quite a few talk shows, and there's uh, three guys that have a talk show in the morning, and I guess in the morning, and they talk about biblical things and, and things that are going in the world, going on in the world right now. Of course, you know the, the Muslims want to destroy the nation of Israel over in the Middle East. All the countries around there, their goal is to completely annihilate Israel. And of course, the United States is a is a, an ally of Israel, and we give them military supplies and stuff. So that's always a big topic. And these guys, when, they, when they're talking about what we call moral issues like abortion and marriage and just stuff like that, they're, they're right on. They know what they're talking about, and they're very good at it. But when they start talking about the Jews and the nation of Israel, the nation of Israel that exists now, then they start misunderstanding a lot of the scriptures. And I've heard them talk, and they'll start kind of, they'll start quoting stuff from the Old Testament uh, when God said, multiplying, I will multiply you, and in blessing, I will bless you. He said, I will bless them that bless you, I will curse them that curse you. And God said he was going to take care of the nation of Israel. But the only problem is, the nation of Israel does not believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And, of course, we all know that Jesus says, no man comes to the Father but by me. So here on the radio station, and uh, bless their hearts, I really love these guys. They're really good guys. They're trying to take Old Testament stuff and apply it to, the, to a people that does not believe in God. And here we are Christians, and we believe that Jesus says no one comes to God but by me. And I've even heard him talk, and he goes, he'll get to a point, he goes, I don't know. <laughs> Like painting himself in the corner, he's confused. And so what I want to do this morning, Yancey asked what I was going to talk about. I said, I'm going to talk about the Old Testament and the New Testament. He said, oh, rightly dividing the word. I said, no, I'm actually going to tie them together. So I'm going to do this as quick as I can. So uh, you can take notes and go back and read and fill in the blanks because I'm not going to do a lot of reading. But I want to start with Abraham, or as he was originally named, Abram. Uh, I did the timeline and Abram, I'm going to call him Abraham because that's what his name was changed to. It's going to get confusing going back and forth. Abraham was born, I think, about 292 years after the flood ended. And as a matter of fact, one of, uh, or maybe more, but at least one of uh, uh, Noah's sons was still alive when Abraham was alive, which is 300 years after the flood, three and 400 years after the flood. So um, let's see here. Let's start in Genesis chapter 12. Abraham, I believe, was about 75 years old this time. And uh, he and his father, 
and his brother, Lot's father, uh, father, Abraham's brother, had already died. But they had left the land where they were. Now, in Genesis chapter 12, in verse 1, Now the Lord said to Abram, Get out of your country from your kindred and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. Now God's going to make three promises to him here. He says, uh, Get out of your country to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. He said, I will bless you. Uh, I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Let's jump, jump over to Genesis 22 real quick. Um, because God makes these same three promises again. Genesis 22 and verse 18. He says, uh, in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. I want you to remember this. In your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed because we're going to come back to this. So God's made three promises to Abraham here. He says, I'm going to give you a land. He says, get out of your father's country to a land I will show you. I'm going to give you this land. I'm going to make a great nation out of you. And through you, through your descendant, all the world will be blessed. And so from here on out, through the rest of the, New Test the Old Testament and the New Testament, centers around these three promises. So uh, let's skip over to Genesis chapter 15, verses 5 and 6. Uh, beginning in verse 4, Genesis 15. Behold, the word of the Lord came to Abraham, saying, This one shall not be your heir. Uh, Abraham and his wife didn't have any children. He was up in his 70s at this point, I believe, maybe his 80s. And it looked like uh, a guy named Eliezer, uh, and people I think think he was maybe a, one of Abraham's servants or a slave or something, uh, they, it looked like he was going to inherit everything that Abraham had. And the word of the Lord came to him saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one who will come for your own body shall be your heir. Abraham's in his 70s or 80s, and God's saying, you're going to have a kid, and this kid's going to inherit everything. Then uh, God brought him outside and said, look now toward heaven and count the stars if you're able to number them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. Now, this might be hard to believe for an 80-year-old guy. He said, not only am I going to have one descendant, but I'm going to have thousands and thousands. But it says in verse 6 that he, Abraham, believed in the Lord and he accounted it to him for righteousness. In James chapter 22, uh, James 2 and verse 23, when he quotes, this is what he's quoting right here when he says, uh, God accounted it to him for righteousness. Now I want you to remember this too, because you don't hear this kind of talk until I think like 1,500 years later in the New Testament. Faith, for by grace we saved through faith. So, this is an important point right here. Then in Genesis chapter 16, uh, God's promised Abraham and his wife that they're going to have a child and uh, nothing's happened. They're both old. It's really difficult to believe this. And so Sarah, like we do sometimes, tries to take matters in her own hands. She's got a servant. So she sends a servant to Abraham and uh, they conceive. And so now Abraham's going to have a son by, by Sarah's servant, not by his own wife. And uh, so sure enough, he has a son. He's called Ishmael. At this time, Abraham is age... 86. Genesis chapter 17, let's look at that real quick. This is another important thing. This is where 
Abram's name is changed to Abraham. Uh, Abram means exalted father. Abraham means father of a multitude. God said, I will make you a great nation. And so Sarah's name had been S-A-R-A-I, however you pronounce that, and then it was changed to Sarah. Of course, uh, in this chapter, we also have uh, circumcision established. Uh, going on, and I'm tying all these together because you know all these things, but you kind of never put everything together. So I'm going to try to put everything together in the timeline real quick. Uh, and in Genesis chapter 17, uh, Abraham's 99 years old at this time. A son is promised named Isaac. God already tells him what the son's going to be called. Uh, and he says in Genesis chapter 17 and verse 21, referring to Ishmael in verse 20, he says, but my covenant... What's in a covenant? A covenant's an agreement. God had made an agreement with Abraham, said, I'm going to do these things for you. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac. Apparently, or possibly, Abraham thought that Ishmael was going to be the descendant God had talked about. But God says, no, he's not the son of promise. Isaac is the son of promise. I'm going to establish my covenant with Isaac. So, and then just real quick, remember in Genesis chapter 18, Abraham's at his tent one day and these three visitors come and they talk to him again. That's just when Sarah laughs and one of the men heard, knew that Sarah laughed. says, why does Sarah laugh? And Sarah says, I didn't laugh. Remember that story? So again, the son is promised, but now there's a date set. He said, I will visit you again this next year. So now Abraham knows when the son's going to be born. And then it goes on. The next couple chapters is Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah. You're familiar with that story. In Genesis chapter 21, Isaac is born. And Abraham is at age 100 now. So we've looked at 25 years of Abraham's life real quick. So let's go to Genesis chapter 21. Beginning in verse 8, talking about Isaac. So the child grew and was weaned. Now, I didn't do a lot of studying. I just leaned over to the person closest to me. I said, when do the Jews wean their children? She said, age 3. So we're going to say that Isaac is age 3. That's going to make Ishmael... 17, because he was 14 when Isaac was born. So Ishmael's a 17-year-old, like Matthew and Dylan, up in that age. And so now we've got this 3-year-old, and his dad's throwing him a big party because he's been weaned. Well, here's Ishmael over here laughing and mocking and making fun of him. Sarah doesn't like this. She, in verse 10, Therefore she said to Abraham, Cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, namely with Isaac. After she sent, after it was her idea, and she sent, um, what's her name, into Abraham, and they had Ishmael, then she despised Hagar. And so I, for, I guess, three years or longer now, this enmity had been between the two of them, and now she's tired of this, and she tells her husband, she said, send this woman out. And uh, Abraham, as rich as he was, he gives the woman a, a skin or like a canteen of water and a loaf of bread and sends them out. <laughs> Couldn't even give him a donkey with supplies or a camel or anything, just sends him out. Okay, so now Ishmael is, or Isaac is born. And then uh, we know the rest of the story. We hear about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We hear those all the time. Who was Jacob? Jacob was the one. God changed his name also to Israel. Oh, that's where we get the name for the land of Israel. Remember the 12 tribes of Israel. Why do we call it 12 tribes? Because Israel had 12 sons. Remember that? Who was the 11th son? Joseph. Oh, remember? Coat of many colors. Uh, his brothers, when he was about 17, they were going to kill him. 
But one of the brothers saved them, and so they just simply sold them into slavery. We went to Egypt. Remember about Potiphar and Joseph fleeing, Joseph getting thrown into prison, the butler and the baker. Joseph interprets their dreams. If you don't know all this, you can go back and read it because we're going through it real quick. For those that do know, it's just a reminder put everything in right order. So then Pharaoh has a dream. And the one that got freed, he remembers Joseph. He says, hey, there was, when I was in prison, there was a guy that interpreted my dream correctly. Pharaoh calls for Joseph. Joseph comes and interprets a dream. Remember the dream about the seven fat ears of corn or the seven skinny ears of corn eating up the seven fat ears of corn, the seven skinny cows eating up the seven fat cows. And Joseph told Pharaoh, he says, there's going to be seven really good years and then there's going to be seven really bad years. So what you need to do is during the seven good years, you need to store up so you can make it through the seven bad years. And the Pharaoh's really impressed. Remember, he says, he said, there's nobody better than this guy here. I'm going to make him, so to speak, my vice Pharaoh. And so Joseph became that. Then you remember, there was a drought back where Joseph's family lived. And then Joseph's up in his 30s at this time. Uh, I think he's maybe 30 when he interprets the dream. So then the seven good years come, then the seven bad years. Well, back there, wherever his brothers and father are living, they run out of food. So he sends, the dad sends them, I guess Israel, sends the sons over to Egypt because he's heard they've got food. Well, they come to Pharaoh's court, and there's Joseph sitting up there on the throne. He recognizes them, but they don't recognize him. Last time they saw him, he was a 17-year-old kid. So you remember all that story. If you don't, go back and read it. So he finally makes himself known. Of course, so he sends for his family, and I think they were maybe in the neighborhood of 50, you know, the sons and the wives and the dad and everything. And so they all come to Egypt. Well, the Bible says after uh, a while, a Pharaoh arose who didn't remember Joseph and the Jews. And since these guys were foreigners, uh, I guess he was a racist, and so he, started, he made them all into slaves, and things got really bad. And then we have the man named Moses. Remember Moses. Moses goes to Pharaoh and he says, let my people go. Then you got the ten plagues, the last of them being the death of the firstborn. you got Moses leading them out. you got the Red Sea. And then they get out and, and the, the Egyptian army is drowned in the Red Sea. So there they are out there. And then God calls Moses up to Mount Sinai and talks to him. And he's up there a long time. And we get the Ten Commandments. So now, now we're up to the point I want to talk to. That was my introduction. <laughs> I'm going to try to make the rest quick. Uh, we call it the New Testament. A testament is like a will. Most of us have wills. That means this is what we want to happen with our stuff when we die. A testament is also an agreement. God said, these are the things I want you to do, and if you do these things, I will do these things. So we have what we call, in the Bible, we got the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Covenant, the New Covenant. The Old Agreement, the New Agreement. There were like over, over 400 laws in the Old Testament. And it dealt with everything from what they could eat. When you went out to a restaurant and looked at the menu, you would have to remember what the Old Testament says when you're deciding what to eat. When you go to Walmart to buy clothes, you've got to look on the label to see if it's got two different fabrics because they couldn't wear garments with mixed fabrics, wool and cotton, for example. When you built a house, you had to read the Bible to see how you had to build your house. There were laws all over the place. So then, they lived under that law for, I didn't do the math, 
hundreds of years. And then we have John the Baptist. And then we have Jesus, who actually lived under the old law. He was a Jew. He was the tribe of Judah. Lion of Judah, you've heard that phrase. Jesus was a Jew. Uh, he was circumcised. Grew up a uh, good Jewish kid. And then, of course, when he died, then we have the New Testament. So now let's go to the book of Galatians. All that to ask this. Who are the Jews? You say, well, you just spent 15 minutes explaining that the Jews were the descendants of Abraham. Well, that's true. But from God's point of view, who are the Jews? Well, obviously, the Jews are Abraham's descendant, uh, Israel's descendants, because God said he would bless them. Well, that was a long time ago. Remember, talked about the old covenant, the old agreement, and the new agreement. Back in 2004, uh, we moved our house, or 2003, we moved our house and our property and remodeled it. We had a, I can't what, think a remodeling loan, whatever they called it. So when we got it all finished, we had to go to Wells Fargo and we financed the house on the 30-year loan. And so we went in and if you bought a house, you signed stacks and stacks and stacks of paper and you're supposed to read all of it, but even when you read it, you don't understand what you're reading. So you just sign it. So we signed it for 30 years and our payments back then were $1,230 a month. And I don't remember what day, of the, let's just say the payments due on the 1st, and there's a $50 late fee, and all these agreements, what we could do and couldn't do with the property. Well, the interest rates went down, and so three years ago we refinanced it. Well, now we owe less. We've got a different uh, interest rate, a better interest rate, and the payments are due on a different day of the month, and I don't know what the late charge is. Now, what, what would we do if, say, the, under the new agreement, the payment is due on um, the 12th of the month, let's say the 20th, and Wells Fargo sends us a letter and says, hey, your payment was due on the 1st. And so, what? And so we get out the deal and says, no, payments are due on the 20th. So we call Wells Fargo and say, payments aren't due till the 20th. He says, no, they're due on the 1st. We say, what are you talking about? That was the original agreement. We have a new agreement now. Well, Wells Fargo is professional enough. They're not going to do that. But if you were to sell someone a car or a house and uh, a disagreement came up, you would go back to whatever agreement you're under now. You had the Old Agreement and the New Agreement, the Old Testament, the New Testament. We're under New Testament now. God does, well, I shouldn't say God does things differently. He may, but there's a new agreement. If you want to take notes, I've got six verses for you to write down. We were talking about the book of Romans before church. And in Romans 2 and verse 28, Paul explains the difference between Jews and Christians. And Paul says, For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, and not in the letter. What does 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 21 say about baptism? The answer of a good heart. What does Paul say here? 
He says a person who is really a Jew, who is one inwardly, circumcision of the heart and of the spirit. Ha. Ah, that would make you and me a Jew, wouldn't it? Galatians chapter 3 and verse 7. Let's skip that and come back to it. Galatians 3 and verse 29. If you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Remember the promise? God said all people would be blessed, not just the Jews. That includes you and me. If you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 14 talks about the fact that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus. So now God's not concerned with a physical nation anymore. He's concerned with the spiritual kingdom. And if you and I are Christians, then we're Jews. Another verse, Galatians 3 and verse 26, For you are all sons of God through, Christ, uh, through faith in Christ Jesus. And then let's go back to Galatians 3 and verse 7. Paul explains to these people, he says, Therefore, Galatians 3 and verse 27, Therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. When you read uh, uh, Romans and Galatians, Paul keeps making the comparison between the law and faith, bondage and freedom, the law and righteousness. Um, let's go to Galatians chapter Galatians chapter four. The problem was that the gospel was first preached to Jews. On the day of Pentecost, when 3,000 converted, these were just, unless there was a proselyte in there, these were all Jews. And up until Acts chapter 10, when Cornelius was preached to, only Jews had been converted. So the problem was, when they saw these Gentiles coming in and being Christians, the only relationship that the Jews understood with God was the old law. Circumcision and all the works of the law and all the feasts and the observing this day and that day. And they couldn't comprehend either through ignorance or malice, they couldn't comprehend how a Gentile who had never served God come in the church and not be circumcised and he eats, eats catfish and doesn't follow any of the Old Testament. He can be a Christian next to this Jew who all his life has been faithful and followed all these 400 and something laws. And so a lot of the Jews were trying to impose the Old Testament on Christians telling them, hey, you can't eat catfish. You've got to keep the Sabbath. You've got to be circumcised. And so Paul had to deal with this. And that's what he's dealing with in Galatians. In chapter 1, in verse 6, Paul says, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you into the grace of Christ to a different gospel. Jesus had preached one gospel, and now the Jews were trying to change that to what they wanted. In Galatians 3 and verse 1, Paul says, Oh, foolish Galatians! Who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was, was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? He's trying to get the Jews and the Christians to understand the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament, and even though they're related, they're completely different. So Paul says in Galatians 4, in verse 21, he says, he says, tell me, you who desire to be under the law, all these Jews that were saying you had to be circumcised, etc., Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? For it is written, now here's why I gave that long 
introduction. For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondwoman, the other by a free woman. But he was who of the bond, he who was what <clears throat> he who was of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, talking about Ishmael, and he of the free woman, Isaac and Sarah, through promise, which things are symbolic. In other words, there's a meaning in that story back in Genesis. There's a meaning for you and me. For these are the two covenants, the Old Testament and the New Testament. The one from from Mount Sinai, I remember when Moses went up in the mountain and received his tablets and, and the rest of the laws. That was the first law. For these are the two covenants, the one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar. Remember, uh, Sarah's handmaid. For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and it corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is, and is in bondage with her children. Talking about the literal city of Jerusalem and the literal city of Israel. But the Jerusalem above, the spiritual kingdom, the church, is free, which is the mother of us all. And then he quotes from the Old Testament, and then going down to verse 28. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are children of promise. When uh, God said, through your seed all nations would be blessed, Paul says here, that's you and me. That's who God was talking about to Abraham, two, I don't know, 2,000 years ago, whatever. Um, but as he who was born according to the flesh then persecuted him who was born according to the spirit... Remember when Isaac was weaned at age three years old and Ishmael was 17 and was laughing at him and making fun of him? Paul says, just like back then when Ishmael was making fun of Isaac, the son of promise, even so, um, lost my place. But as he was born according to the flesh, then persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, even so it is now. The Jews were coming in and giving the Christians a hard time. Nevertheless, what does the scripture say? Remember, Paul asked the question, you who want to be under the law, do you not hear the law? Now he says, what does the law say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. Wow, where do we hear that? Sarah and Ishmael, Hagar. And remember when she said, get rid of these two? That was a symbol that we're supposed to get rid of the Old Testament, and now we have a new agreement. We've refinanced our salvation with God. So you ask, so you got way back here when Abraham was 75 years old, I think like 1,500 years ago, and he said that he was righteous because of his faith. But now God gives them a law that doesn't talk about righteousness and it doesn't talk about faith. It's just all these laws they've got to go by. And then Jesus comes along and starts talking about righteousness and for by grace you're saved through faith. So we jump from righteousness and faith that Abraham had. We jump ahead like 1,500 years to the church. So why did we have an Old Testament? Ah, good question. Such a good question that Paul asked the, the Galatians that. He says um, in Galatians 3 and verse 19, what purpose then does the law serve? And he answers the question. It was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. Uh, There was a law because people were killing each other, 
They were lying to each other. They were stealing. They were committing adultery. They were doing all sorts of bad things. But it wasn't time for Jesus to come yet. God talks about the fullness of time. So the Old Testament was added because of transgressions till the seed could come. What's the seed he's talking about? Let's back up to verse 16 here. Remember God said, through your seed, all nations will be blessed. And they didn't completely understand that. But Paul explains it now. Now to Abraham, verse 16, now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say to seeds as of many, but as of one. And to your seed, who is Christ. So that third promise that God made to Abraham was foretelling the birth and the life and the death of Jesus Christ. But Paul talking about the old law, he asked in verse 21, is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. Going down to uh, verse 23. But before faith came, the church, for by grace are you saved through faith, before faith came, uh, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would after be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor. Uh, apparently, under the, in the old days, a tutor in a household was the guardian responsible for the care and discipline of children. Until faith came, we were kept under guard by the law. Oh, it says, uh, therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith has come, we are no longer under the tutor. The old law is done away with. And so, when you don't understand God's plan and how all the pieces fit together, and you try to say that we need to be circumcised or we need to keep the Sabbath or, or whatever, and we're getting the old law confused with the new law, it prop- causes problems. Just like these guys on the radio. He talks and he he goes, I don't know. <laughs> because now the promises are no longer to the Jews. That agreement was done away with for a better agreement. The Jews are welcome in this agreement, the new covenant. But now we are all Jews. Uh, that's why in Galatians, Paul says, talks about in Christ where there is neither Jew nor Gentile. If we are Christ, we are all, all equal and it doesn't matter who we are descended from. The problem with misunderstanding the Bible is like putting together a crossword puzzle. Especially like with a little kid. They'll get a piece and they'll go, oh, this goes right here. And it's close, but it doesn't fit right there. And if you put the wrong piece here, now you've got another piece that did go there, now you're going to have to put it in this other hole. And it's just wrong. They don't fit. And not only that, if you do that too many times, the whole picture is distorted. And the problem with Christianity is if we don't understand God's plan and uh, all this kind of stuff I've talked about, then we paint, like the guy on the radio, we paint ourselves into a corner and we get to a point where we go, I don't know. And so the reason I've given this lesson, this isn't a lesson to motivate you to action. 
This isn't a call to repentance. This isn't necessarily something you can take out and live in your lives. But if you can better understand all this long story we've talked about and how it all fits together, it's not just random stories that God chose to tell us about. It's one long story that fits really perfectly together. And to go back and read the book of Galatians and see how Paul, just like we did today, he talks about these and see how these go side by side by side and they fit. And just like that, uh, I may have said crossword puzzle, I mean a jigsaw puzzle. Once you get all the pieces in place, it fits perfectly. So I hope that this lesson, like I said, uh, this hadn't been a call to repentance or anything, but I hope this lesson clarifies stuff for you. When you hear people talk, you hear someone on the radio, you're talking with someone at work, and they say something, you go, I don't think that's right. But if you don't have a good grounding, then it's going to be hard to to figure out what is right and what's wrong. So I hope this helps you as you study the Bible in the future, as you listen to things on TV or the radio, as you talk with your friends. I hope that all this fits. Well, have a song of encouragement, and if you need to make a change today, do it today. Don't wait.